Happy New Year to my Wildish Wise Women community. I'm excited to be releasing a podcast after a few months hiatus. I've been busy. My husband and I bought a house and we've been adjusting to home ownership. But please enjoy this interview with Laura Ahrens on the power of commitment. She talks about committing to relationships, committing to your self-work, and committing to your yoga practice. And as you will hear her say, it's all part of the practice. I enjoyed talking with her immensely and she has so many great gems in here i really hope that you enjoy it as well remember women supporting women is our greatest strength take care today i'm excited to be speaking with laura aarons laura lives in and teaches in boston massachusetts with roots in new york she leads classes retreats and a 200 hour yoga teacher training school called the new school of yogic arts her mission is to bring the yoga back to yoga. Today, Laura is going to be talking to us about the power of commitment, which is going to go into all kinds of things, uh, from commitment to practice, in relationships, and uh, the power of community. So I'm excited. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Well, before we launch into this topic, which... Um, is kind of near and dear to my heart. I'll speak a little bit more about that. We'll just take a moment to connect. So wherever you are, unless you're driving, maybe close your eyes. And we create this space to share and connect. So we'll take a few deep breaths together and inhale through the nose. And exhale out the mouth or out the nose. Just a couple more like that. May each woman who needs the wisdom of this call find her way here. May we speak from the heart and create a wave of peace that radiates out on a global level. May each woman remember her sacred nature and feel the value of her presence in this world. Laura, what is your favorite thing about being a woman? I think my, what I'm most reverent of about being a woman is that it, we have the, the power of creation and continuation of life. Mm. Um, this, this capacity to nurture it and bring it into existence. And the strength that that takes is tremendous. And also the softness that that takes. So there's this multifaceted, really complex nature of being a woman that I, I really, really love. Wonderful. Well, I wanted to just give a brief sort of history before we go into the topic, because I specifically asked Laura to be on, which is usually how the podcast interviews go. I invite people, but it was about a specific instance. And, and when we met, that really resonated with me and I was super stoked to watch it unfold. Uh, so Laura and I met at an Elena Brower weekend training for teachers and we, we did this exercise where we sort of had to look at different areas of our lives and, and, and evaluate them. And Laura bravely shared that she had been 
um, seeking a romantic relationship that wasn't coming to fruition sort of in the way she wanted. And um, it was just a similar story to mine where, um, I don't know, for me, it was having to trust and having to let go of expectations about being independent in the world. And um, so I just thought that it was really cool that a couple years down the line, I follow her on social media and here she is with this wonderful partner. And I was just grinning from ear to ear. Uh, I remember sending you a message about it. And um, I just thought <laughs> that it would be kind of cool to unpack that and and to, to find out how that landed in your world and, and how that re, you know, relates back to your practice and to all the things that you're committed to. So um, anyway, I just wanted to say that because it, it made an impact on me and that's always my goal is to share these things that really touch me. So thank you for being willing to, to share in this format. My pleasure. I don't oftentimes talk about this, so I'm actually really excited to share. Awesome. Well, how I, how I want to uh, unpack it, I think, is, is because you've chosen this um, power of commitment title, which I think is really rad. I, I, I'm excited to, to dive in. Um, maybe just start by talking about what commitment means to you and maybe how that's changed uh, over time. So I oftentimes talk about how attention to something changes our relationship to it. For example, if we pay attention to a topic deeply, we can master it. And if we pay attention to a person deeply, we can fall in love with them, mm -hmm. um, whether that's on a platonic level or whether that turns into a romantic relationship or otherwise. And so for me, in these times when yoga is something that you can drop into and dabble with, the, we're living beings and living beings are a part of organic process. An organic process unfolds over time. Like you can't pull a bud open because it's not flowering fast enough. Or mm. if you rip open a butterfly's cocoon, it actually dies. It's if just it's mush, right? <laughs> yeah. So the butterfly mm. actually has to push its wings out against the cocoon. Ah. Um, my teacher told me mm. Uh, mm. in order to develop its wing strength. And if you interrupt that process, it dies. So it's the same as like the. There's no need to check on a seed to make sure that it's taking root under the soil that actually could damage the process of it growing. So I think commitment for me is the, the capacity to embrace our complexity as human beings in organic process and have reverence for how things unfold and to, to trust that there is, there's some greater flow to how things are as living beings and that nothing can be immediately downloaded, nothing can be rushed, that mm. in this culture of convenience and mass production, we can't just manufacture something. So even though it's very popular to practice yoga now, there is something to be said for starting from the foundation and building something that you can really live in and live with and, and explore and allow to unfold. So for me, commitment is the, the powerful process of trusting that. And it's been life changing for me to really commit to this practice. And I've also seen the same in my relationship. I've seen the same commitment that's, that's been so powerful. Wow, I love that. And I love taking cues from nature because everything unfolds just as it's meant to in nature. It goes exactly at the right pace. Mm -hmm. And we have a whole season that's completely barren. And nature's not like, hurry up, we have to get buds on the trees. Nature's like, no, 
this is the time to hibernate. This is the time that the ground is frozen. This is the time. Mm, wow. And yeah. so many of us probably have a, such a difficult time embracing those barren times whenever they, they show up in our lives. Yeah. And our culture doesn't really encourage it either. There's this sense that in the wintertime, we should be able to have a watermelon and a banana and stay awake at all hours of the day and night, even though the days are shorter and darker. Mm. And we, we don't really want to give up any of the conveniences that we usually have. Yeah, and want, people are like, why not... can't I eat watermelon yeah. and bananas? <laughs> because they're yeah. for the summer and bananas grow in the tropics. And yeah, <laughs> we've sort of become a seasonless society where yeah. we want everything conveniently whenever we want it. And there's there's been like this sort of separation from nature and being in the flow of things as they're meant to unfold. So, yeah. Wow. I really like that because it's uh, the commitment to just riding along on the journey instead of a commitment being the same exact thing every time. Like I must do this always, which I think sometimes yeah. we think that's what it means. We have to commit to this thing, but you're committing to the change that's happening on a regular basis. Yeah. Like there's a time in making cookies where you're stirring everything up in the bowl and there's a time when you're molding it and putting it on the tray, but then, there's a time when it's in the oven and you can't keep opening the door. So there's like all these <laughs> yeah. different parts to our process that are all like completely necessary. Like we grow in a womb for nine months. Right. You know, we're not like, and, and whoever's carrying the baby doesn't have to do anything more than exist and nourish themselves and be in the world there's no like opening up the womb and like making sure everything's okay. Like we, we do monitor pregnancies, but it's, there's, there's no need to mess with it too much. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. there's, you, and it's wild how life can develop in just waiting and being patient and resting and incubating. And, and that's kind of how most life starts. Yeah. This is so good to hear. Well, I can't wait to have you share so I'll, I'll let's go there next okay. um about about the relationship thing so i know that you've uh agreed to share in a way that you don't normally so of course yeah. your story's yours um please share whatever feels good and safe to to share with the masses about just the way that all of that unfolded um in your relationship status and and life as it was when we first met sure so i had been through a really challenging breakup, which is heartbreaking as they all are, before embarking on Elena's training. And when she sent us the list of categories that are like basically like divisions of life, relationship and home and work and all of these different aspects of the multifaceted life. And I looked at them all and I thought to myself, you know, I had just started a business. I had just sort of started to get my, my footing in the yoga community in Boston. I was enjoying fruitful relationships with friends and family. Like other areas of my life were flourishing, but I could sense that a good amount of my learning was in romantic relationship and that that's where my patterned conditioning and history and, um, you know, not necessarily skillful ways of being or showing up. And looking back on past relationships, I can see ways in which I showed up 
based on kind of um, reaction and not response. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that that's just, that's where all of my work, not all of it, but that's where a lot of my work was. I mean, even just in business, I saw that some of my work was being able to stand in myself and be like, this is mine. I own this. I can do this. You know, whatever it was, like being able to take care of some of the logistical aspects of business, that was a growing edge for me. But mainly I was capable there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I realized that so much of my romantic life was still kind of immature. Like that was where I had developed the least. And so I came to Elena with with that deep desire so that I could be in partnership because so much of so much of of my life was filled with love, but I kind of felt like that was the place where it was I was most longing for it and most lacking it. So you know, I've been on a really long journey of softening since then and what I realized teaching utterly heartbroken was that I was so much softer and I come from I mean, I've I've done a couple of two hundred hour trainings and one of them is in a tradition where there's a lot of ferocity and strength and that has been of so much service to me in my life and I feel really empowered, especially as a woman, having ferocity and strength and I consider like, I haven't always been this way, but I consider tapas, like the fire of determination and austerity and the capacity to tolerate challenge to be like one of my strengths now, but I didn't always find it that way. And so I've been really clinging to that, like, I'm strong, I can do this, I can get through this. And I think mm. sometimes, and, and we're in a culture where it's like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, be self-made, get through it, just work from morning to night, just keep putting your nose to the grindstone. And I think for me, a big lesson from that time that we had, and also just since then has been to soften. I always say that when my heart broke, it broke open. So that was like a, a pivotal time for me where I started being more myself and more open to the fullness of who I am, not needing to brace against it and not needing to brace against life and to be able to trust that I can be in the flow of it and not need to grasp at it for it to be a certain way. And of course, this is a work in progress. I mean, I think all of us in some way are inclined to try to manipulate the present moment to make it more palatable or more preferable and to avoid discomfort. That's just a natural neurological thing to do. Um, but I've, I've definitely been softening a lot. And what I shared with you before we started speaking on here is that I've, I'm also very filled with uh, the fire energy of Pitta. And Ayurvedically speaking, the fire of pitta can be transformational, can warm things, can transmute things, mm -hmm. but it can also be burning and can burn me out. And um, with ulcerative colitis, that's an intestinal autoimmune disease, the intestines, and that's clearly an expression of fire. And I, th I think that for me, softening and being more receptive and surrendering a lot has been really good for me just as a person. Um, but also I think in terms of my relationship, so my partner's name is Dylan and we've lived together for a year now and have been together since March of 2016. And it was really unexpected. We were the best of friends and I just don't think that I had my eye open to a relationship 
um, because there was so much pain and so much challenge and so much that I was going through personally because I, you know, whenever anything big happens in life, it catalyzes self-discovery if that's the path that you're on. And so I was really looking at myself deeply and, and working to heal. And I think for me, how much he loved me scared me and also made me a little bit, <laughs> it kind of, it, it terrified me, but it also, I felt a little sickened by it. And hmm. I thought, I thought to myself, wow, if this person loves me so much, what's wrong with him? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think that's something that we don't really give voice to because it doesn't put us in the best light, but I'm willing to say it. Cause I think, I think the more real we can be with each other on a regular basis, the better the yoga community will become in terms of its power for transformation and also connection. Um, a lot of what we say in yoga now is like, we put it under the guise of vulnerability, but we're really saying, I have a hangnail, I'm being vulnerable to you and letting you know that I'm not perfect. But I think we really need to dig deeper into that and be like, I'm a human being, I have these challenges, I'm complex and so are you and I have space for that too. So. I was a little bit disgusted and terrified and he was my very best friend in the whole world. And I just, I, I said to him actually, before we started dating, I was like, we should get married. We would have the best life ever. And I was totally joking, but also totally serious. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, and it didn't cross my mind that we should be together when I said that. Um, I think it just terrified me way too much because they're in order to be loved by someone else. We also have to consider ourselves valuable enough to have that love. And I really, mm -hmm. truly, honestly think that I, I couldn't ask to be loved any more than I am. And it's, it's very, very scary to accept that it can be really hard to accept that. And it was, and I think being able to be softer and, you know, and there was some tumultuousness in the beginning of the relationship just with me having a hard time getting over some of the blockages that were mm -hmm. preventing me from be really showing up in romantic relationship as I wanted to. And it's been one of the greatest learning experiences. So I, I consider Dylan to be my teacher in many ways because a lot of old patterning, even like intergenerational comes up in our relationship. And thank God he's so patient and loving and I'm the same to him that I can kind of slow down in that reactive place when stuff arises and, and break it down with him and be like, what is this? Like, I, I don't know if this is yours or mine or ours. Like, let's talk about it. But mm. a lot of stuff will come up that's just old and I can feel that it's history and I, and I don't even know if it's mine sometimes. And that's, that's where the work really is of, slowing down with that and not needing for anyone to be right or wrong or in between, but to be able to let my practice also be my relationship. And, you know, the field of interpersonal neurobiology posits that our brains are patterned in relationships. So our healing is also in relationships. So as much as yes. I, as much as I want to be like all, all for one and one for all, like I've got this, I'm going to do this on my own kind of thing. Um, that's not possible. We're not meant to be independent creatures. We're meant to be interdependent creatures. So there's no way that I'm going to be able to do any of this by myself. So I was like waiting to be all healed so I could be perfect for a relationship, but that's just not how it works. So it's been a really, really interesting journey. 
Wow, thank you for speaking so <laughs> candidly. And no, it's it's awesome. It's all such good stuff. I can totally see that people are going to be like, wait, what? And they're going to want to listen to that again. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to rewind this shit. Um, it's all very true for me, too. I had the exact same experience when my husband just wanted to love me to pieces. I was freaked out by that. It was just too much. So overwhelming to be loved so purely. It's, um, yeah, it's an overwhelming sensation. I would really love for you to talk more about how that is interwoven into your practice because you are, you know, alluding to it, that it's, it's related to the yoga practice and the healing and the, and the full-on commitment that you have to take your practice beyond the mat, which I think doesn't get enough discussion about it these days. I mean, it's not just the moments that you're bending your body into these poses. It, it goes so far beyond that and so much deeper than that. So I would love to hear the way that they, um, they come into play with each other from your perspective. Yes, I love talking about living the practice. I agree, it doesn't get enough airtime. Um, I'll talk first about my relationship. The, my practice and my relationship are entirely interwoven, mainly in part because yoga is the way we do everything. And there's this kind of contemporary, like, it's all yoga to mm -hmm. say, like, you know, if you want to do it with a goat or with a beer glass or on a beach or on a paddleboard or in a hot room or whatever, that it's all yoga. And I don't use that phrase the same way. I say it's all yoga, meaning that the way that we do everything is our yoga practice, mm -hmm. even just the moments in between in practice, the way you move a block is your yoga practice the way you put your shoes on at the end of class, like the way we do everything in life is our yoga practice because it's an opportunity to become aware and so much more than that. But just in general, like the commitment, the commitment that I've made to this relationship because we were best friends and we talked in the very beginning of our, before we dated, we talked about being married to one another. So when we started the relationship, it was basically like, well, we don't want to lose each other. So when we do this, we're doing this, this mm -hmm. is going to be, so it's, we never ever talk about not being together. That's mm -hmm. not a part of the practice of our relationship. It's always, how are we doing this? What are we doing? What like needs our attention if something needs our attention there's never the there's never the are we doing this part of the conversation hmm. so I so really, there's already a huge commitment involved just in that statement alone right there and that that truth yeah that's yeah huge. and to have to look at I mean I think sometimes there are times when leaving a relationship is incredibly important I look back on my past relationships and I am I think it was 100% necessary that they all ended, and I'm glad that I had that time to explore. Mm -hmm. And I know there are lots of people for whom their relationships are dangerous or life-threatening or disempowering or, you know, just, I, I sometimes say that there are times when I've been asked to wear a lampshade over my light in relationship. And I think that a lot of a lot of people are in relationships like that and I would say like that's a great time to practice the the power of standing up for yourself and getting out of there and saying you know what this relationship is not reflective of the deepest truth of the life that I want to live and I'm piecing with great 
love and respect for you and more importantly with great love and respect for me but since that's not the case in my relationship if we do get into something where my first thought is how can I get my couch out of here and move then I know that I need to look at myself because there's a really good lesson there because I'm with a partner whom I love and who loves me we're on the same page and I need to take a look at where what's my garbage and I think that that's that's the power of commitment right there. It's the same with yoga practice where, you know, it's, it's a really big wake up call. It's like yoga practice is not for the faint of heart and neither is commitment. And I cherish the opportunity and the massive amounts of growth that have come to me through being in relationship and being committed to it. And it's, it's a mirror for sure. I mean, I'm able to, like, you know, when people ask if they should get a psychologist or, you know, reflect with a friend or do some sort of process that helps them to have some sort of counsel, I always say yes. I'm the hugest proponent of, of having that because it's the same thing as you wouldn't, you wouldn't decide not to have a mirror in your house and then try to put makeup on. Hmm. And it's the same with our practice. Like, we could very well do the yoga practice forever and not make any progress. And it's because you don't necessarily have to see yourself if you're the only one seeing. Because your eyes are plugged into your head, your brain is patterned in, in your own skull, the reflection might not always be right. And that's, I think, why Svadhyaya in the, um, in the Eight Limbs of Yoga um, refers not only to self-study, like who am I, but also study of the scriptures mm -hmm. because the scriptures provide for us a, a point of reflection so we can see ourselves more clearly and make decisions about where we need to grow. And I think that's one of the most, the biggest blessings that my relationship provides me is the opportunity to see myself more clearly and grow. I could very well decide that the way that I see the world is the way that it is. But knowing that my mind is patterned in my relationship, I have the opportunity for reflection with someone who's so close to me, who knows me intimately in and out and can hold a mirror to me and help me grow away from just my own small scope of seeing and into um, a, a bigger perspective. Yeah. And I see this uh, get in the way a lot because people don't want that mirror and so they get defensive or they push it away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that with the yoga practice. I see that with relationships. And, yeah. you know, I think I used to be a little bit resistant to that. I mean, I used to bristle when everyone, anyone would say, can I offer you some feedback? And I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm mm -hmm. about to be told that I suck and I'm the worst person on the planet. Sure. But now I'm actually really open to it and I love feedback and I welcome it. And it's interesting just to look back at, I mean, I, this is what the, the magic of the yoga practice and also just having really good therapists and healers and partners of all kinds is the, the magic of all that is that we can grow. We can grow. We're not stuck based on our history. We're not stuck based on our mind patterning. We're not stuck based on who we've been and who we've been with. We can grow. We can change. We can transform. And that's the luminous fire. That's not, that's not 
blazing and burning everything down around it. And it's not also hidden underneath a lampshade. It's mm. that's the, the fire of transformation of the yoga practice when kindled correctly and not over blazing when we're in the flow can help us be the person that we really are. Like it burns off all the stuff that's not us and it kindles and sort of cooks everything that is us. So I don't remember the other thing that you wanted me to talk about, but that's the no, part you, of you pretty much No, you pretty much, no, and tying it back into the practice, you actually did it beautifully. Oh, yes. You you sort of just did it all because as you said, it's all, it's all yoga. <laughs> Yeah. It all is. And and I'm yeah, I think we all um are guilty of not wanting to to see that mirror and have that feedback. Um my husband and I before we were married, um one of the things he always used to say to me is that I'm not my parents because my parents mm-hmm. divorced when I was 3 and that was my big story. Well, uh marriages don't work and guys are mean and I'll get hurt and that was just on repeat, you know? And so he would always remind me, you're not we are not your parents. We are ourselves, we are our own entity and we're individuals and we're a partnership and it's not it doesn't have to go down like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So- so, so powerful to let go of stories because we have so many of them. And as you mentioned, the intergenerational stuff is real. I mean, I could identify some of it, but sometimes we don't even know that's what it is. It's just there and we don't really know where it came from. Yeah, just um, a little anecdote. I was recently sitting on my couch with Dylan at home and I heard a knock at the door and it was about 9 p.m. And I got really scared and my heart started racing and I said to him, we have to hide. And then I thought to myself, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. What is that? And it, you know, my grandfather is a Holocaust survivor and he lived for a year in a basement hiding from the Nazis with 10 other people and has a, a tremendous story of all of his relatives being killed by the Nazis, except for him and his mom. And all of this stuff. And that was all right there, like right at the surface in my subconscious, ready for something to trigger it. And that's never happened to me before, but it's all very real. I mean, I know a lot of other people where that's a part of their story. And I know ways in which that's still, it's still so prevalent. I mean, we're seeing it and just on the global stage in terms of politics and social justice. And it's something that's not recognized enough. Um, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, all, yeah. we all have those trauma stories embedded in ourselves. And yeah, I think that I know that you're actually doing that work. Um, we can already hear uh, from the way that you're sharing with us that you're a little bit of a science nerd, which I totally appreciate. <laughs> um, but maybe if it seems relevant to kind of share a little bit about that path, because I know that you're diving deep into that overlap, which I'm super stoked about as a therapist and a yoga teacher. I've been in mental health for many years and worked with a lot of folks that are dealing with trauma. And that overlap is so, so important and, and really at the forefront of the, the what's there to learn for us right now yeah so I'm in yoga therapy training right now with Sarah Joy Marsh it's actually across the country for me so once a month I fly to Portland Oregon um she really is at the cutting edge of the intersection of of spirit and science as I like to call it and what I really appreciate that is that we can respect tradition 
we can respect that there's something really important about what's ancient. It's persisted and it's existed for so long that there must be some truth to it. But at the same time, we can also respect that innovations that are mindfully uh, studied and implemented can also update the yoga practice so that it is even more true. And so Sarah Joy Marsh um, basically interweaves yoga and Ayurveda and mindfulness and the science of trauma-informed yoga, interpersonal neurobiology, as I was, as I was explaining before. And um, she's also partners constantly with physical therapists and ER doctors and Ayurvedic specialists and is always uh, and a neurologist and is, is constantly adding some science to all of it. And what I appreciate about that is that if we know that our brains are hardwired for survival, if we know that we have negativity bias, if we know that we're patterned in relationship, it doesn't have to be so personal when the mind is judging or it doesn't have to be so personal when we're falling into a particular pattern. It can just be like, you know, if the biceps not firing, you might lift like two pound weights for a while and then you go up to three or five where you see a physical therapist and it's never personal. We just take the steps that we need to strengthen and repattern those muscles. But somehow when it's in the mind, we're so identified with our minds that we take it so personally. And I found it so freeing to study the science of neurology, of neuroscience, of um, interpersonal neurobiology, these just ways that the brain just works and it does these things. And it's so much like a muscle in the ways that it basically just patterns around what we pay the most attention to. Mm. And that's been really freeing. And, and also I think it will be empowering to so many people, especially with the disparities and the inequities and inequalities in our world at large. I think the people that we need to serve with yoga are the, the, people that don't have access to it currently. And that's for so many different reasons. It might be physical, it might be cultural, it might be socioeconomical, all the reasons why people don't have access to yoga, but, but deserve it. Right. So I think you've touched on it. Um, but you have this tagline of bringing the yoga back to yoga, back into yoga. Is that yeah, that's about, been my mission. Yeah, is that the, like, living it and having it all be yoga, or is there more to it than that? I think that there's a sort of divorce of yoga from its philosophy, and there are even entire training programs that are really excited to remove all of what they deem as cumbersome aspects of philosophy from the yoga practice. And I also know a lot of yoga teachers that are, uncomfortable if not unwilling to bring some of the physical the philosophical rather aspects to their classes and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that but there's also not necessarily anything right with that i think that what is transformational about yoga isn't just that we're moving our bodies although so many of us are sedentary in this culture that it's really healing to move the body and also we know that memory is stored in the muscle we know that the body remembers Yes. But at the same time, without reverence for the philosophical aspects of the yoga practice, 
and the desire to study them, there's some emptiness in yoga and perhaps we can't even call it yoga. So what I would really love to explore as an entire community is the willingness to bring back the philosophy of the yoga practice. Not that it was ever gone, but when things become unpopular, they can sometimes be watered down. And I'm not saying that everyone believes every aspect of, of yoga philosophy, but at the very least, I think it's important to bring mindfulness and uh, a lot of the facets of, of yoga that make it not just physical movement. Um, so I kind of like to explain it like this, where if you were talking to a seven-year-old about death, you might not explain everything that a person went through in their final days, but you also don't have to say that that person is on a rainbow in the sky or that they just moved away and that we're not going to see them. So you take the truth and you make it a little bit smaller and simpler so that it's easier to understand and digest. Mm. I am, I'm 100%. We don't have to include the vastness of what is yoga philosophy in every class, but we also don't have to say that it doesn't exist. So I think that it's important to include it, even if it's titrated and given in, given in smaller amounts, in yoga classes so that we're still respecting these ancient traditions of which we're a part. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about cultural appropriation, and I think that's an important conversation to have. Yes. But I think that cultural appropriation is more prevalent when we don't respect the vastness of a tradition and when we pick and choose what it is that we're going to practice and what it is that we are not. Yeah, absolutely. I read an article recently about a woman who was teaching yoga to children, mostly white children, but she had one little girl from India and, and she said yoga's from India and this girl perked up and she goes, I'm from there. <laughs> but you know, there's, there are actually people that don't know that's where it originates from, not just mm. children, but you know, across the board, it, it was like that, that had been completely omitted. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's dangerous when we start picking and choosing what we think belongs. I mean, I think that's why Svadhyaya is so beautiful. Who are we to decide what yoga is? Right. And I think it's important to study what it is in its entirety rather than leaving it all at the door. I think we need to respect that this practice is ancient and that we're not all knowing. And that kind of leads me back to if I had to choose something, some advice to give for how to live the practice. And of course, I'm not perfect at this, but I I will say I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing. I say this to anyone who will listen. Like I could do a lot more popular things with yoga. I could be a lot more popular and have, you know, it's not that I don't have a very, I'm very grateful to my students and to the people that, that follow along with what I'm doing and are willing to jump on board with me. But I mean, it's much more popular to put on some cool tunes with fun lights and great outfits and just bop to the jams and do the yoga that people makes people feel good and, and kind of just like washes the day away. But I think for me, I, I know the power of these teachings and I'm willing to, to do that stuff myself. And I know other people are too. And I want to be in that journey together because I can feel that there's power in it. And because I've, I see my teachers and I, I respect where they're at. And I think if there's any advice that I'd give from that place of being willing to be a student of it and being willing to teach it, it's 
be willing to see yourself and to know that you're not always right and that that's okay. Mm. That's, I think, been the most transformational thing for me, that I'm not always right. I don't always know the answers, and I don't have to defend every little last thing that I do for fear of judgment. I can take a look at myself and say, you know, that's not working for me, and I want to be free from that. And that doesn't make me a bad person, and it doesn't make you a bad person. We can all just be people on this journey, on this path together, and we don't have to be right, wrong, or indifferent. We can just be. And I think that that's living the practice of yoga, this willingness to not have to be stuck in our old ways of thinking or doing and not need to judge ourselves for where we were at. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's I was actually going to ask you for a piece of advice, but not about that, um, although that was beautiful. Um, one more question on that line of advice. If someone's listening, I know we've been sort of toggling back and forth between the relationship and yoga, yeah. but, but as, as we said, it's all the yoga. Um, yeah. If someone is, is looking to bring more softness in, if they're resonating with your story and, and the way that things unfolded for you, as I did, even, even still when you were talking today, uh, what would you say about finding that, that, that little bit of softness that's needed maybe to, to bring something into your life that's lacking? A big part for me is rest. Mm. I, I, am a very, I, I identify very much with being proactive, with being productive, and mm-hmm. I think a big part of it has been just stopping. I mean, yeah. there were times when I was like, how many classes of different things can I go to in a day? How many topics can I take up? How many <laughs> things can I master? And yeah. that's not the point. I mean, I think that all yoga is a preparation for good death. I mean, even a class ends in Shavasana, and I I think that softening and surrendering is a tremendously important part of the practice. It doesn't mean that we don't do things, but the lesson from the Bhagavad Gita is that we surrender the fruits of the actions, and it doesn't mean that we don't give steadfastly to the pursuit, but that we're willing to, to not need a particular outcome. And I think for me, resting, not doing so much stuff, and if you're someone for whom that sounds terrifying, just show yourself over time. Like for example, I got really sick a couple of years ago. It was like two months after Dylan and I started dating. I had had like a dormant strep infection in my throat and I didn't realize it and it turned into like a really intense um, just virus that had taken control of my throat. And I was out of work for 13 days. I didn't do any yoga, any movement, any anything. And after 13 days, I went back to practice and everything was exactly the same. (laughs) And that was a really, really, really good moment for me because I realized that our life is not the culmination of tremendously hard effort every single time hitting it out of the park, but it's the small things that we do with consistency. So I didn't need to be constantly going hard or going home but that my, my life wasn't just what I did. And that was a really good lesson for me. And I constantly have that lesson. Having an autoimmune disease, there will be times when it totally out of my control. I'm just like out of commission and I have to surrender. And so I think rest is a big part of it. I think also being willing to see yourself so that you can be yourself. This, I mean, if, if you're finding that that's your thing, I would say get a good mirror, whether that's a therapist or a really, really good friend that has insight or a spiritual text or committing to a practice, 
Um, I would say also yoga nidra is really helpful or restorative yoga. Yeah, they're I was both ask really about super that. helpful. Yeah, very, yes, very rest inducing. <laughs> yeah, and mm. building time in when you're not doing and identifying with doing. Um, I'd also say chanting, chanting, singing, um, just these these things that we do for connection, but that aren't necessarily a means to an end. Like there's no reason to chant. Like we're not getting something at the mm. end. But yeah, it is. That's huge. Yeah. There's no, no destination per se, mm-hmm. just to be in the process and to, to just experience it as it's unfolding. Yeah, definitely. Wow. That's so beautiful. Laura, thank you for sharing so openly. You've given so many gems. Like I said, I know people are going to, really enjoy this. I I usually end with just some kind of fun questions. Um, And the first one is, what's one book that changed your life? Oh, I'm going to say the book everybody is going to say, but I, The Alchemist changed my life. I read it the year that I started yoga, like maybe the month after I started yoga and it was just life changing. Yeah. I feel like we've only gotten that like one other time. I, I maybe more, I don't know. We get a lot, the untethered soul too. Oh, (laughs) Um, but the alchemist, I love that book. It's the alchemist. I mean, Harry Potter for sure. I even (laughs) wrote a Harry Potter clause into my attendance policy for my yoga school. So I just love Harry Potter. I think it is a book about yoga in many ways. And the Bhagavad Gita is of course, um, just, a staple. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then, uh, I always ask what your favorite yoga pose is, but then you can also <laughs> let us know if you have a favorite sutra or something like that also. Yes. Okay. So my favorite pose is dolphin and I also really love bridge. Um, I also really super love the way that tapas and svadhyaya go together. So ah. Santosha, Tapas, and Svadhyaya, just this balance mm-hmm. of like, it's everything I've been talking about. It's like Santosha, contentment, the capacity to just be with what is, and then Tapas, which, so my teacher says that Tapas is the friction of what was and the friction of what will be rubbing together to make the fire of transformation. And it can be uncomfortable, but enduring that fire is what transmutes things yes and then svadhyaya which we've been talking about this this decision to really see ourselves like clearly like in a mirror not just with our own eyes but like Mm -hmm. in a reflection um and that can be through sacred text it can be through mantra or the chanting of om it can also be um just self-study so those that those are my favorite um i guess my favorite poses and niyamas. I like it. Yeah, thank you. I I never ask about the the philosophical parts of yoga, but I might have to start to throw that in in honor of of you. Hey, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I always ask about the poses, which I know 100% yoga is so much more than that, but it's just kind of a fun little, oh, tell me what your favorite pose is. (laughs) Way to end. And I don't always interview yogis, but most people have some sort of a practice that I talk to because they're my friends. Mm. So (laughs) yeah, there you go. Yeah. And then uh, Laura, who inspires you? You know, I was actually telling someone the other day, you know how people ask that question, like, who would you have dinner with if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive? Yeah. I would totally invite Marshall Rosenberg, who's the creator of nonviolent communication. I'm so inspired by him. He's unfortunately dead. Um, I also, I'm very inspired by Gandhi. I'm also, um, 
gosh, who was it that I was saying? I wish that they weren't dead. Eknath S. Warren. I wish that he was alive. I just think what a, just such an amazing spirit. And I really get a lot out of reading what he has to say. Um, his translation of the Bhagavad Gita, the introduction to that, I just highly recommend awesome. to anyone who will listen. Um, yeah, that's who's been really inspiring me lately. And of course, like, I'm inspired by my friends and family and students and teachers. Just community is everything to me right now. And it's it's everything. Like community is is our second chance at, at anything that we need a second chance for. And it is it's life giving, it's life sustaining, it's the way we're meant to be. I believe in it super strongly. Wow. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, that's where we heal. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, I'm so grateful for you and all that you do in the world. There'll be the ways to find you linked uh, to this interview. And uh, yeah, I'm just grateful that you decided to, to go for it and, and share so openly and deeply. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I, uh, it's, it's really growth inducing to speak to what didn't previously have words in a public way so thank you for this yeah excellent i'm so glad that this is where it all happened so yay thank you yeah take care laura take care okay bye-bye bye